Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy uh, coming to you today on this Friday, October 16th of 2020. We'd like to t uh, welcome all our listeners, those of you that are tuning in from wherever you are. As we get ready to uh, go into the weekend, we have definitely had a tremendous uh, time in the words, studying in the Book of Acts, almost like a, uh, a an intense series uh, on this book, uh, and really learning and gleaning some things that, you know, probably most of us, uh, you know, have never considered but the Holy Spirit has opened it up for us, and we're grateful for that, and we're grateful for you uh, joining us today and being part of this Bible study. And we ask you to continue to be praying for us and continue to pray for one another and share these podcasts as the Lord leads you. Today in our panel, we have uh, we are joined by Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, and as always, it is a pleasure and an honor to be able to study the Word of God together. So, Brother Marty, on this Friday... As we continue on our journey, I'll give it to you to share what God has placed on your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We've made it to Friday this week, and like Pastor Jeremy said, we've, <clears throat> we're actually doing a series called Paul in Athens, but uh, <laughs> it, we've actually now gone through, goodness, 15 chapters of the book of Acts, a general overview and, and, a, and a looking at the burgeoning church the first 20, 25 years of the church is what we've been exploring. But specifically, considering all the incredible different, uh, you know, impacts that, that, that came to the various lives of the apostles and servants of God in the early church, and, and, and the things that we've looked at there um, have really opened up our eyes as to how the church was born, how the Holy Spirit works, how he began to take Paul and separate him and develop him, which ultimately led to uh, him being removed uh, from established religion and, and also being removed uh, into a greater depth of understanding probably uh, than any had, had, had ever had. You know, 14 books of the New Testament were written by the Apostle Paul, he enlarged the gospel of Jesus Christ, but before he came to that point, we've been we've been looking at the progression of his life and the things he experienced, as well as the other apostles. And so, as we continue today, we're going to be continuing from where we left off, and we pray that it'll be a blessing to you. We're going to look at uh, a couple things today that I don't want to go past, as I feel the Spirit of the Lord humbly speaking that is leading us to, to, to take a little pause here and look at a, a, an incident that occurred uh, as Paul was getting closer to Athens. Uh, he, he's only a, a few years away now uh, from reaching the point where he would boldly declare, I go to the Gentiles now. And, and so we want to look at something today, and, and we pray the Lord will, will bless as we explore those things. I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy to, to read to us for today's uh, today's thought on uh, Acts chapter 15, and I want you to begin reading with verse 37 through 39, and we'll get into our stu study today as we continue our series on Paul's journey to Athens, and in Jesus' name we pray you'll be blessed and encourage you to follow along with us. And we welcome those of you who are just joining us. We encourage you to go back 
and listen to the other podcasts in this series uh, for a much more depth, uh, in-depth, comprehensive understanding of how we've arrived at this point. So, Brother Jeremy, would you read to us, please, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take it to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. Incredible. Paul thought it not good to take Mark with them. And we're going to explore that today. As, as the Lord allows and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to some, some very interesting things before we go on, because it's, it's a chief component as well in the development uh, of Paul. And, and we want to look at these things from that perspective. There's some nuggets there we can, can glean from, and, and we'll do so by the grace of God. So let's just review a little bit. In yesterday's podcast, we discussed a, a great crisis which arose in the church. Paul and Barnabas had been called and separated by the Holy Spirit for a new era of ministry. That's what we read in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Uh, this began a most fruitful missionary journey, which was really Paul's first missionary journey, which lasted approximately two years. And, and their testimony would be that a great door was now being opened to the Gentile world. As we discussed, the apostles had centralized the location of the church into Jerusalem, where they they abided and remained in direct contradiction to what the Lord Jesus had told them in Acts chapter 1, where he told them after the Holy Spirit had come upon them that they were to be witnesses first in Jerusalem, but then move out into Samaria, into Judea, and Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth. But they had failed to do this. And so many events which we've discussed at length already transpired and and as a result, the Lord would raise up the Apostle Paul uh, and, and Barnabas uh, to begin the outreach to the Gentile world, which was really uh, the intent of the gospel to begin with, go into all the world and preach the gospel, which they were failing to do. But upon returning from that two-year trip, um, they returned to Antioch, which is where the church was really born in, in, in many senses. Uh, as, as we've come to know it today, because it was there that they were called Christians first, not in Jerusalem, but in in in, in the uh, in the territory of Antioch, and and so they returned after their trip to Antioch, which now had become a you know really a great contrast to Jerusalem. Um, they were flourishing, while Jerusalem was was a, was maintaining a stagnant position in the in, in the ways of the gospel. And as we saw, you know, spiritual warfare was ever-present at very high levels, many times manifesting itself in the form of false doctrine or a partial understanding of the gospel. False teachers from Jerusalem had come to Antioch, and they were teaching the Gentile church that they really weren't saved unless they incorporated the law of Moses and, and, and became circumcised. And that led us to Acts chapter 15, <clears throat> which, you know, basically caused Paul and Barnabas to go all the way back to Jerusalem and to, to try and settle this issue 
because it was contrary to the gospel that Paul and Barnabas had been preaching. And so a great crisis arose in the church, and, and really the very gospel message that we know today was at stake. And so they had this great council, which we talked at length about yesterday, and having settled the issue of the Mosaic Law and the Gentiles in Antioch, um, Paul and Barnabas uh, returned to Antioch, uh, along with others from Jerusalem that came came with them. Uh, Silas was among them too. But they sent these other men to come back to Antioch from the council in Jerusalem so that they could stand as witnesses and say, yes, this actually happened. So they returned to Antioch and, and they reported what the will of the council was. And, and they had been given a letter from James to read. And basically the letter uh, contained within it three rules that they, they said that the Gentile church would have to follow. One was uh, they would not be allowed to eat meat that was offered to idols. They could not eat any meat that, that was strangled, which was a Levitical law. Um, and, and, and they were not to engage in, in fornication or sex outside of marriage. So these were the three rules that they sent them with in this letter. And Brother Jeremy, could you read to us Acts 15, verse 30 and 31, uh, which describes this event we're talking about? So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. So what we're being shown here is they come back from Jerusalem, <coughs> and they, they have this letter, which they read from James, which included the three rules that we just talked about. What's really interesting, uh, and, and what, it, what it really reveals there, in, in verse 31, is, is the precious Gentile church in Antioch had, had come under great distress. You know, the great joy that they had been experiencing, the great uh, outpouring of the Spirit that caused the Gentile church to be born again, a church that had high-level ministry come to it, as we've read in past and, and discussed in past po podcasts, when, when a whole group of prophets came and settled there. And Barnabas was even called a prophet. It was from there that Barnabas went and got got Paul out of Tarsus, and they they camped there for a whole year, and and developed the church, which we which we read about in in Acts chapter eleven. But but after their missionary uh, journey and and they returned, uh, just describing all the things that God had done on their missionary journey, and and they're having this great uh, outpouring of the Spirit. Uh, we 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 learned yesterday that that that's when the false teachers came, and and they came and began to teach them that that they had to be circumcised, like we've already discussed, or they couldn't be saved. So when we read here in verse 31, after returning from the council in Jerusalem, that after they read the letter, uh, which didn't include that they had to you know be circumcised or observe the Mosaic law, it says that they rejoiced for consolation. And you know that that can go by unnoticed if, if if we just pass that by. But but consider that the whole time they're gone and the whole time they're waiting for them to come back, it, it reveals to us the effect of of this confusing doctrine that came into the church, which was a work of the enemy. So when we talk about spiritual warfare and the way that the enemy works, we see it present right here, because the reason they rejoiced in 
and and uh, and the Bible says for the consolation uh, was because they were up under distress. I mean, think about it. You know, they, it was there they were first called Christians. It's been it's been several years now. They've been enjoying uh, the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the teachings of Barnabas and Paul and the others that were there amongst them. Uh, only to have these false teachers come and question the very salvation that they thought that they were enjoying. And so while they're gone, back at headquarters in Jerusalem, you can, uh, you can imagine the confusion, the, the unsettled spirit, the mind that must have been occurring amongst the church. Because when they return and they read this letter to them and they realize they don't have to do what those false teachers told them, they rejoiced greatly. Uh, but I see such a a sad thing going on there, right? You know, the kind of of thing that we need to take notice of and we need to pay attention to these kinds of things. It's incredibly important, especially for ministers out there and, and even in our own families, in our own walk with God, um, what we know about the word and 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 how we must not allow false doctrine to come and, and question the very foundations of that which we know to be true. God never wanted them to live in, in distress or or upset, you know, or questioning their very salvation. This is an act of the enemy. And thank God when they heard the letter, they rejoiced. And so we come to, to verse uh, 35 and 36. Could you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Praise God. So so with the issue settled now, uh, Paul and Barnabas and, and, and several other teachers have now settled in at Antioch. And the Bible says they taught them the word of the Lord for many days. And and this is about a year when you actually get into studying the history behind it. So after they come back from the council at Jerusalem, they're there for a year, basically teaching and, 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 and strengthening the church. Man, I bet that was awesome, man. Can you imagine? <laughs> this is your, these are your pastors. These are your These are the men of God teaching you, Barnabas and Paul. It's, it's quite an amazing thing to think about. But after a year goes by, you know, who Paul really was on the inside, that gift that God had placed in him, he begins to get stirred up. You know, he, he stirred in his heart and, and he wants to return uh, to the cities where he and Barnabas had been on their first missionary journey. And that's what he intended to do. But this is where we see uh, our subject and where we're coming to today, because he, he relates to Barnabas. Let's go again. Let's go preach the word, uh, you know, in all the cities where we where we were able to have converts and see how they're doing. And and Barnabas is he wants to go, but then we come to verse thirty-seven and thirty-nine. Can you read that again to us, Brother Jeremy? Thirty-seven through thirty-nine. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark, but Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas to Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. 
Sorry, and so Barnabas is, took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. Sailed unto Cyprus. Now there are some, you know, there are some truths here that we need to to explore, and and I think if you'll bear with us today, it'll encourage you greatly, whether it's in your own personal walk with God or uh, those that you're believing God for, and maybe some that you've given up on. But here we see something that that we need to pause. I really felt that today. <laughs> Because I've been trying to get, all of us have been trying to get Paul over there to ask him so we can dig into that amazing, those amazing events. We're almost there, but let's look at this real quick. Because the the whole issue here, understand, we're, we're looking at a fellowship now that's been developed between Paul and Barnabas for, for, for almost 20 years, going close to 20 years now. They went on their first missionary journey. Barnabas had gone and and, and brought Paul and introduced him to the apostles when no one else wanted to see him after Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. And then when the burgeoning church at Antioch uh, was well underway uh, under the ministry of Barnabas, uh, which when, when the church first began, he felt compelled to go retrieve Paul almost 13 years after his conversion and bring him to Antioch. So their relationship is long and deep. And they've been engaged in, 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 in ministry together and fellowship together. And many nights, you know, talking about the word of God, many miracles they saw uh, uh, together. So it's an incredible thing that, that when they get to this moment in church history, the issue is marked. Because early on, uh, and we're going to look at that uh, in, in a little bit, uh, a little more in depth. Early on... Uh, <clears throat> Could you read to us chapter 13, verse 13? Yes. And now when Paul and his company loose from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departing from them returned to Jerusalem. So that is, that is the reason that Paul tells Barnabas here, uh, a couple of years later, I don't want this guy going with us. He's he's John Mark. So when you read John, he's actually talking about John Mark. Uh, he he was known by both names, um, and and one was a Hebrew name and one was a Roman name. But Barnabas in verse thirty-seven was determined to take John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul didn't think it was a good idea to take him with him because John Mark had departed from them from Pamphylia, and he didn't go with them. Uh, to complete the mission they were on. And so <laughs> we need to look at this and, and understand because understand that the book of Acts is, is about big themes and the growth of the church and the great calls of the apostles and all that. But it's also uniquely uh, beautiful in how the Holy Spirit wrote it because he, he, he draws our attention to individual lives and, and, and wants us to understand that the church is, yes, this grand, uh, great creation uh, of the Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, but the church is made up of people. And he wants us to understand that, that his children uh, are all different, and, and they all have different personalities, and there's, you know, there's, there's so many different things we can look at here, but we want to zone in on Mark, and we want to look at his life briefly today. And, 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 and to do that, we're going to first look and see, uh, where do we first see Mark appear in the Word of God? 
to do that, and we're going to return to this at the end of this reflection here, but but let's go over to, to, to Mark's gospel, because Mark wrote a gospel. Can you turn over there, Brother Jeremy, and read to us Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 46 through 52, and this is the first time we see him. Now, I want what you to remember what, uh, 46 through 52, and I want to remember what we're going to read here because we're going to conclude today's study by returning back here. I just want to show you where we first see him in the Bible. It says, and they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and ye took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body, and the young man, men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Yeah, and it doesn't literally mean he had no clothes on. It just means that the covering, you know, naked from the covering that he had on him. So I don't want you to think he's running through Jerusalem without any clothes. But But this, verse 51 and 52, this is John Mark. This is the first time that we see him. It's a practice in the gospel writers not to include their names, like John. And when you read John's gospel, when he refers to himself, he talks to him about himself as, you know, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, he never really mentions his own name in his own writings. It's, it was a practice of the uh, of early writers to do that. And in this case, this gospel that Mark is writing, he includes himself. And, and you can do your own studies and find out, yes, this is who <laughs> who was in the garden. He was actually in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's the first time that we see him as a very young man. And and I just want you to keep that in mind because we're going to go back to it because it's it's a key thing uh, to to see what the Holy Spirit was able to do. So we first see him in the Bible in the Garden, fleeing for his life, uh, and he leaves the the little blanket he had wrapped himself in behind as they tried to, to grab a hold of him. So it's it's approximately 10 to 13 years later when we see Mark uh, reappear again. And Brother Jeremy, could you turn over to Acts chapter 12 so we can see something about his life? Because yes. I want I want to see how the Holy Spirit works as he directs us to learn some things. So when we first see him, we see him fleeing, afraid. Uh, and then we don't hear from him again for 10 to 13 years later. It's after the resurrection of the Lord. It's after Pentecost. It's after all the things we've been exploring. And, and we talked about how the church had reached a crisis point where Herod had assassinated James and, 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 and Peter gets thrown in prison. And Herod's intention is to, is to assassinate Peter the next morning. But we know the story in Acts chapter 12, because in Acts chapter 12, we're told that an angel comes and delivers Peter from the prison. And then Peter goes somewhere. And that's what that's when we see Mark show up again. Look at verse 11 and 12 
of chapter 12 of the book of Acts. Can you read that to us, brother? And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord had sent his angel and had delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. All right. So we have an interesting thing here that the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to us. He just kind of throws Mark's name in there. But what we see is that when the angel delivered Peter, uh, and, and, and Peter realizes he's not having a dream, he's actually been delivered from the prison and from the hand of Herod, where does he go? The Bible tells us there in verse 12, he comes to the house of Mary. Mary's the mother of, of John, and she's also the sister of, uh, of Barnabas, which, is, which we'll see in a little bit, which makes Mark uh, Barnabas' nephew. So uh, he, he's actually Mark's uncle. But what's interesting here that we can learn from is, is just this little bit. We can learn the kind of climate that Mark has grown up in. He, he, he basically, you know, he comes, what we know from this is that they have a house, which was very unusual, in Jerusalem, uh, which indicates to us that they, were, they weren't, you know, billionaires or anything, but they were, they were upper middle class type people, if you want to classify it. The fact that they had a house, the fact that they had a servant. Can you read verse 13 to us, Brother Jeremy? And Peter knocked at the door of the gate. A damsel the damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. Rhoda. So they have a little, they have a servant girl in the house. They call her a damsel, but that, that literally she was a servant. And and so so he's growing up in a house um that that's that's better off than most of the people around him. <clears throat> and and so he, he in 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 some senses there's a sense of privilege there <laughs> that he's grown up under. But at the same time uh, let's let, let's look at at this uh, where Peter came. Uh, so he has a mother that that opens her house to the believers. So he's been surrounded by believers, and and also it's a house uh, that's full of intercessors, right? Because it says yes. that in verse twelve that at his house there were many gathered together. This is a practice of the kind of home that he grew up in. So he's a child that has a mother that is that's a prayer warrior. And and the kind of community that he's surrounded by is a community of people that pray. And the kind of prayers that actually are so effective that God sends an angel to loose the great apostle Peter out of prison. <laughs> And also the fact that Peter knows where the house is, it lets us know that he, he frequented the house. He knew where the house was. And so John Mark is used to having this caliber of people in the things of the Lord around him. And it's, 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 a, it's an interesting thing to note and to consider the climate in which he was nurtured. So what we what we learn from this is that is that our attention is now being drawn to this young man 
because he's going to become part of the new era. Remember, we were talking as we put forth our understanding in the book of Acts that the disciples had failed to understand the fullness of the gospel as they should and go into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. When we come to chapter 12, it's almost like the end of an era, in a sense, in that James is assassinated by Herod in chapter 12, verse 2, and then Peter is placed into prison. The church in Jerusalem has fallen under hard times precisely because it hasn't fulfilled the mandate that the Lord had given to it, and the enemy is, is driving hard to destroy it. What we read in Acts chapter 11 was that prophets from Jerusalem had come to minister to the church in Antioch. And while they were there, the great prophet Agabus, moved by the Holy Spirit, had it revealed to him that a great economic depression and famine was going to come on the whole land. Indeed, it did. And, and then what we were told in chapter 11 was that they took up an offering amongst the Gentile church and they sent it to Jerusalem by the hand of Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas were in the city when James was assassinated, the brother of the great apostle John, and when Peter was thrown into prison. And being the fact that this is Mary, uh, the sister of Barnabas, and Mark is his nephew, this is probably the house that they went to uh, when they came to Jerusalem. So it's quite possible they were there as well. Uh, when when Peter had been thrown in jail. But all of this is an incredible thing when you think about this young man, uh, because after this incident, uh, we see that that uh, that Herod, uh, Peter, you know, leaves to go protect himself. He leaves Jerusalem when you read the rest of chapter 12. And then uh, Herod, he dies for taking, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that he, he gave some speech and, and they all start saying Herod was a god. And then uh, <clears throat> because he didn't give glory to God, the Bible says he, he died. He, he, he was smitten for taking the glory that only belonged to God. But then we're told that the word of God continues to grow and multiply. And then in, in chapter 12, verse 25, uh, John Mark's life changes again. Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, that's an incredible thing because um, we know where they're at, right? They're at Mary's house, his mama's house. Um, Peter is now gone. His life has been spared by the angel and the intercessory prayers that have been emitting from the house where John Mark is. Barnabas is there. Paul is there. They brought the relief and the offering from the church at Antioch, and they're getting ready to leave. And and, and Barnabas uh, and, and Paul decide that they would like to take Mark with them on this, this, this journey back to Antioch. So Mark leaves with his uncle Barnabas <laughs> and Paul, and, and, and he's on his way. He's begun a journey. And, and, and it's, you know, it's, it goes without saying, as we, as we explore this, that there were qualities about the young man Obviously, uh, it was a privilege for them to, for him to, to, to take that journey back to Antioch. These were going to be his mentors, but Barnabas, remember, he's a prophet. He saw something in his nephew, and he wants him to be part of what's happening. And so as he's being brought forth, 
into chapter 13, so to speak, um, a new era has begun. And he finds himself right in the middle of what the Holy Spirit is doing in this new church. And and while they're there, now Mark's with them. Uh, chapter 13, can you read verse uh, 1 and 2 to us, Brother Jeremy? Now there were in the church that was at Antioch, Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetric and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So as soon as as soon as they get back, you know, Mark finds himself in the company of prophets and teachers. He's just a young man. You know, he's probably in his mid twenties now. But you know, he's bright eyed. You know, he's he's a long way from home. He's with his uncle. You got the great apostle Paul there. You have Simon uh, who was called Niger from Cyrene, the man who carried Jesus's cross on, on the day that he was crucified on Calvary. You have Lucius and, and Manain, who has been brought up in here. He's in some heady company here. He's surrounded by prophets. And while he's there, he's experiencing these great prophets talking with one another. And we're told in verse two that the Holy Spirit falls upon them and the word comes forth that God is now separating Barnabas and Saul uh, for the work that he's called them to. And it's very interesting because uh, they lay their hands on him in verse 3. And then can you read to us, Brother Jeremy, uh, verse 4 and 5? So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence, they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Sal Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their ministry. So here we see that, that they, took, they took John Mark with them on this journey. This is very interesting to me because, I mean, you have to ask yourself, uh, you know, it's this very trip that they're going to take that's going to cause all those years later Paul not to want to have him around. But when you look at what you read in verse 2, and I, and I just want your thoughts on this. Can you read verse 2 to us again, Brother Jeremy? Yes. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Separate Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to do, right? I've called them. But see, now we have a situation because Paul and Barnabas need to go on into this, this obvious, uh, you know, separation of the Holy Spirit for the next phase, which is vital to the church. But Barnabas and Paul brought Mark with them. But the Holy Spirit doesn't identify Mark at all here as saying separate Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark for the work I've called them to. But he finds himself almost like a third wheel. So if you're Barnabas, what do you do? 
do you send him back home to mama? <laughs> I mean, what do you do? Yeah. The Holy Spirit didn't say, hey, I need all three of you. I just need you two. But you, but now you have somebody with you. And so human choices and decisions are at play here now. And and in some sense, they are, they're becoming a hindrance to the, you know, to the work of God. And it would, it would actually play itself out a, a few years later, because this is going to be a two-year journey. And halfway through, not even halfway through, the, right into it, we find out that it became too much for John. I mean, for, for Mark, John Mark. He, he leads. Now, stay with me now. I, I, I began to ask the question, what is it? that that made Mark go home. It was his choice. And I think a lot of it had to do with what he saw on the mission field as a young man when he first went with them. Can you read that to us in Mark chapter uh, 13, verse 8 through 12, Brother Jeremy? Uh, yes, uh, Acts 13, right? <clears throat> yes. But, but Elamus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not to pervert the right ways of the Lord and now behold the hand of the Lord is upon thee and thou shalt be blind not seeing the sun for a season and immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand then the deputy when he saw what was done believed being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. You know what I think happened, brothers? One, I don't think he belonged there yet. I don't think he was ready for prime time is what I'm saying. What he saw was a sorcerer of the devil. I mean, <laughs> and then he sees Paul and a display of the power of the Holy Spirit as they're, they're on the mission field now and, and they're witnessing, uh, you know, <laughs> to Sergius Paulus is, is his name, a deputy of the country. He, he's, he's a ruler in the country there. And, and this sorcerer comes and tries to dissuade him and stands in the middle trying to prevent him from hearing the gospel. Paul rebukes him calls him a child of the devil, and then blinds him in the name of Jesus. And, and if you'll pause for a second and think about the intensity of such an event, because we're not talking about, you know, some, some uh, you know, Las Vegas magician here <laughs> that Paul was dealing with. We're talking about real sorcerers. That's why he's called that. And, and, and he had... He he's also known as a false prophet, but 
but he had real dark power on him. Mark is, is caught up in the middle of this. You know, up until this point, he's just been around prophets and, he, and he's hung out listening to the word of God. You know, he, he's been at prayer meetings and seen Peter come and all that kind of stuff. But, but at the same time, he's never seen this level of ministry before. And, and in essence, he wasn't ready for prime time. And I think that that's one of the reasons in verse 13, he returns home to Jerusalem. And, and remember, it's this choice that Mark made right here that three years later, all hadn't forgotten. And, and he basically tells Barnabas, which is where we started, I ain't taking that guy with us. I don't want him with three years later now. It wasn't like the next week or the following month. I mean, this is three years later where Paul says, I don't want him coming with us. And that's what broke fellowship. The things that we do and the things that we engage in, the choices and decisions we make, all of it is, is coming into play here. You're talking about three full years later when they go on, they're getting ready to go on the second missionary journey, that that's where the break occurs. And we'll see a little bit more of that in a minute. But I can relate to this in some way, in a, in a, in a way to Mark. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Or maybe you put faith and trust in those around you that you loved and hoped for better outcome, only to be disappointed in what those around you who you love and prayed for and nurtured, uh, they made choices and decisions that maybe you didn't agree with. And, 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 and you became disappointed in them because they didn't rise to the occasion, or maybe they, they made choices and decisions that you thought they should make for whatever reason it was. It could have been very easy at this point to write this young man off, is my point. But we know later he's going to become a writer of the gospel. So from that point to this point, it's very interesting. <laughs> from this point to that point is very interesting because he's experiencing incredible, uh, you know, things in the ministry. Yet at this point, he decides, I'm checking out. Now, remember, he, he came from Jerusalem. This is his first foray away from home. And, 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 and maybe he was enamored with the thought of, of traveling with his uncle his mother's brother who lives in Cyprus, right? Because remember when you when we first see Barnabas, he, he appears in Acts chapter 4, and, and he, he's from Cyprus, it says. He's a Levite, he's a priest, and he sells a piece of property that he owns, which is a rare thing because people just didn't own property back there, but he sells that property and he brings it to the apostles. Remember, we read that in Acts chapter 4. So to go with his uncle sounded like a great idea, to be with the great apostle Paul, who he had heard about, all that, coming to Antioch, you know, as a young man, you know, the romanticizing it, you know, being away from home, traveling for the first time, all of that. But this is serious business happening here. And he finds himself, and in no way could he have imagined this, he finds himself now in situations on the mission field that he frankly doesn't have uh, the depth of, 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 of staying power, if you will, yet to abide and see that missionary trip all the way through. And so he chooses to break from his uncle and the Apostle Paul and leave the mission field and go back to Jerusalem where he feels comfortable. 
because it was just all too much. Now, most of us would just write the dude off, I think, because Paul did. Think of that. He did. Three years later, he still didn't want him to go with it, which is very interesting. <laughs> Are you guys listening? <laughs> which is very interesting to me because, because, you know, think about it. Because three years later, when Paul decides to go on his second missionary journey, he he's still holding this over the guy, over John Mark. He's, he's saying, no. I mean, that's like one and done, right? I mean, you blew it. I mean, one and done. One big mistake, bro. You went home to Jerusalem. And now you ain't coming with me again. I don't want you coming with me again. That's harsh, man. You know. <laughs> You're talking about the difference between boot camp and, and then Navy SEAL training. <laughs> <laughs> you know. He yeah. was in boot camp in Jerusalem, you know, learning the ropes. And yeah. all of a sudden, he finds himself trained. That's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> the no. Navy SEAL training, you know, for a lack of a better example. No, but, that's a good way to know. put it, brother. I like that. But, you know, uh, I was trying to think. Of, I, I could relate to it when I was thinking about it this morning because this happened to me, right, it, it, in some ways, you know. And the only way I could, I was trying to, how can, how did he feel? You know, I was thinking about it. I said, well, and the Holy Spirit quickened in my heart and reminded me. You know, I had I had started in the ministry early on in my early 20s. And I got really disillusioned with it all. And I left ministry for almost 10 years. And I spent that 10 years with my children, with my wife, you know, seeking the Lord and, and, and raising our family, doing Bible studies at home, all that stuff. But into that, after that 10-year period, uh, I got a call. Uh, I had written a letter to a, to a really famous evangelist who at the time was all over the major Christian networks, and, and he was from Africa. And, and I got a call from him. I had written him a letter and warned him about becoming like an American preacher. I was so bitter by this time, right? Well, he calls me and he comes to visit our family. He came to America and he came to visit our family. And out of those visits, uh, he invited me to come and, and, uh, and, and preach the word in Kenya. Now, I had never left the comfort of the United States, let alone cross. I mean, I'd been to Tijuana, you know, I mean, something like that. But I'd never been anywhere else, <laughs> you know. And I was I was enjoying my life, you know. But I felt, you know, I, I had this romantic notion, you know, there was still something in me that, that I always felt like I never had ever fulfilled what I had originally endeavored to do with my bright-eyed hopefulness in, in the things of God, right? And I had settled into a position of comfort, not backsliding or anything, just I didn't want nothing to do with ministry. But now suddenly I have this invitation to go and minister in, in Kenya. And, and, and so I did. I went. And I went, you know, with these, you know, like I said, romantic notions, you know, kind of be on the mission field, all that stuff. I'm going to Kenya and in Africa, thinking about all that stuff I could talk about, right? Well, when I got to Africa and, and I was invited to come to, to preach at the night service, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. When they came to pick us up from the hotel, uh, we had a nine-car entourage with military troops escorting us through the streets the street because uh, it's a dangerous place, right? So, uh, And as we got to this place called uh, Uhuru Park, 
which is where the Kenyan people had had a revolution and overthrew the government. And, and, it, and it, so it's a sacred place to them, right? And very rarely is anyone other than the president of the, of the country ever to speak there. But my, my friend, who's, who's the evangelist, had great favor with the Kenyan government, and they invited him to come hold a crusade. So I went from 10 years of absolutely doing nothing to suddenly, as we rounded the corner and headed to the crusade grounds, I almost fainted because I knew I was the one that was going to be preaching. And when we rounded the corner, uh, I'd never seen so many people in all my life. And, and, and at that, there was over 80,000 to 100,000 people there. <laughs> and uh, so I went from teaching my, my three children Bible study at night to standing in front of 100,000 people. And, and, you know, I was overwhelmed by the whole thing. Now, I was scheduled to go on after that crusade to go into Uganda. And they had a, a big preacher's conference. I was scheduled to preach to over 3,000 preachers for a week. And, and so what seemed to be a romantic idea in my head, suddenly the reality of the level hit me. And I realized I ain't, I ain't ready for prime time. <laughs> so uh, so I bought, a, I bought an airplane ticket after I preached that night and flew all the way back to the United States. I left the mission field and I left the mission field because I felt overwhelmed and way out of my league. And I remember somewhere over the Atlantic ocean on my British airways flight, um, praying to the Lord and, and I, and I felt defeated, but there was something in my heart that I, I, I asked him, I said, Lord, you know, if you give me a chance, uh, maybe someday we can go back there, right? And uh, and I said, I just felt like such a failure. I had never preached to that many people. I think the biggest crowd I had preached to up until that point was when I was a younger man, was maybe 3,000 people in a building. Uh, and, and so now I'm outdoors in front of 100,000 people. And I felt like what I had to say went maybe two rows deep and then fell right down to the earth. Like I couldn't, I couldn't relate to the guy on row 999, you know, I, mean, I, just, I just couldn't do it. And, and as we flew over the Atlantic, the spirit of the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, I didn't send you there to, to, to uh, preach a sermon, Marty. Uh, I sent you there to prophesy. <laughs> I sent you there to prophesy to a nation. Not to preach a sermon, but to prophesy to a nation. And it was at that moment that I understood something, you know, and I'm not saying I've ever attained that, what he told me, but but I did know something, that that I have much more that you need to learn, obviously. This is how it came across to me. Uh, but but don't doubt that, that the anointings for, for ministering my word is upon your life. Just understand what it's going to take. And if you'll let me move on you, uh, and you and you'll obey me the whole way, maybe someday I'll get to that point where I could prophesy to a nation. I understood. And I wept somewhere over the Atlantic. So I wonder about John Mark. He wasn't ready for prime time. But the Holy Spirit didn't give up on him because we know he became a writer of the Gospel of Mark. That's an incredible thing. Even though the Apostle Paul wrote him off, right? <laughs> I ain't taking that boy with it. So, so he goes home, 
And it's interesting because Mark disappears at that point, and he's not seen again until after the council at Jerusalem that we talked about earlier in this podcast. And they must have brought him back with them when they came back uh, from Jerusalem because he's there in Antioch. That's where the whole split takes place. Uh, he's there when Paul wants to go back on the mission field. That that a whole year has passed, and, and then and then verse 37. Can you read that in chapter 15, verse 37 again, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> says, and Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Right. So, so Barnabas determines to bring him. So we know that he's there, right? We're not told that he how he got there, but we can kind of conclude from it, right? That when they went back to that council in Jerusalem, they brought him. They must have brought him back because now he's in Antioch again. Uh, and, and so Barnabas grabbed a hold of him and brought him back. I don't know if Paul made, you know, some kind of smirky look when Barnabas said, hey, come back with us to Antioch. <laughs> it's been three years, man. <laughs> you know? <Right. laughs> When, so when they come back from the council, he's obviously with them because now here he is. I just, I don't know, man. I think like that. You know, I, I just, I don't know if Paul gave him a, you know, like a rolled his eyes or something. You know, I don't know. Or maybe John Mark felt sheepish around Paul. Who knows? All of that's probably there. But another year passes by and Paul wants to go on the mission field. And it says Barnabas was determined <laughs> to take him with them. But Paul says in verse 38, no way. He left us three years ago. He left us cold and dry on the, on the mission field. That's harsh, man. That's harsh to me. You know, give him another chance. But you see, Paul, he, he didn't. <laughs> he wasn't made like that, man. Uh, so they fought, right? Verse 39. And they go their separate way. So what do we conclude from this? I mean, Barnabas was a wise man, right? And he was a prophet. He obviously saw something in his nephew beyond just family ties. And like we said, remember, Mark's going to write the Gospel of Mark. So what are we seeing here, really? You know, had, I want to ask this question. Had Barnabas abandoned Mark at that moment? Because remember, Mark left Pamphylia and went back to Jerusalem by himself. Remember, he traveled back by himself, and Paul and Barnabas went on a two-year missionary journey from that point on. So now he's three years later older. He could have easily left with Paul again. And, and Mark, he knows how to make his way home from Antioch. So there's something deeper going on here that Barnabas recognizes now. And had he abandoned him and gone with, with, with Paul at that moment, would Mark have become what he actually became? <laughs> mm. Understand, two things are happening here. Number one, this would be Paul's first time in ministry, this second missionary journey. It would be Paul's first time in ministry without Barnabas. And so what we learn is that what looks to be kind of a sad situation really is the Holy Spirit moving in these events. Because what was happening was he, he was being molded. This is the Apostle Paul through fire and trial and all that stuff that's going on. And he was about to enter into a whole new level of growth and leadership. 
and it and and it couldn't include Barnabas. Not where Paul was headed. And so sometimes what looks to be, you know, decisions and choices that were made, you know, sad things or however you want to define it, is actually the hand of the Holy Spirit. Barnabas, we learn from him, his heart. He didn't give up on his nephew. He was willing this is incredible if you think about it. He was willing to break fellowship with the great apostle Paul to turn his attention toward his nephew, who he obviously saw something by the Holy Spirit in him. He was used of the Holy Spirit, that is Barnabas, to produce a great man of God in the apostle Paul. But he was also being used now of the Holy Spirit to further along what God wanted to do in Mark's life. It was crucial at this point because had he not taken that young man with him, we'd never have the gospel of St. Mark. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe he also felt that Paul's ministry, you know, that he didn't need me anymore. Obviously, or he wouldn't have left him. See, sometimes, I probably shouldn't even mention this, but sometimes, I had a preacher one time, big time preacher. Knew him very well. Served under his ministry. Did everything I could to help him in, in, in the cause of the gospel. Politics played a great part in, 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 in our parting from one another. And, and, and I won't go into the details, but, but it hurt me deeply. And, and yet, <laughs> my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, they played a really, really important part, like Barnabas did to Mark, because it crushed me. Because Paul didn't even give Mark a chance, right? He wanted to separate family, man, in some ways. I mean, Paul was so singularly mindedly driven. When God appeared to him, the Lord appeared to him on that road to Damascus, man. It it changed it forever. So he could not understand. He hadn't been tempered yet to the extent that he would be in that area of compassion that was necessary, he was singularly focused and driven. And he thought nothing of of leaving Barnabas's nephew behind and fully expected that Barnabas would just go with him. It says they fought hard over it. And Barnabas said, no way. And see, my in-laws did the same thing for, for, for me and my wife and our family. There came a crisis moment. And, and I remember that preacher writing a letter to my mother and father-in-law and rebuking them for leaving his ministry to come be with their family and nurture their children. And he wrote them in the letter and he said, don't be like a Barnabas. Barnabas left Paul and was never heard from again. That's what he wrote them. 
And I remember uh, getting really mad because that's a distortion of scripture. I said, well, that all, that all, that all depends on, uh, number one, you think you're equivalent to the apostle Paul. That shows me how bad off you are. And number two, you have just relegated Barnabas to the ash heap of inconsequence as if he had no role after he left Paul. But the truth of the matter is, brother, he nurtured this young man by the hand of the Holy Spirit. He saw in this young man that this wasn't just a nephew. This young man was going to be a writer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years later, because Barnabas took that stance and allowed the Holy Spirit to show him something so much more deep of the quality that was, yes, it wasn't yet flourishing, but it's there. And he found that more important, one single life more important than to let it go and to go further on to promote his his own uh, missionary journey with the great apostle. My Lord. He was used of the Holy Spirit. Now, it would take 10 years. But 10 years later, the great apostle Paul would acknowledge this fact. As the Holy Spirit, for our benefit, would have Paul mention Mark in several of his epistles. Brother Jeremy, could you read to us Colossians chapter 4, verse 10? Yes. It says, you know what, Brother Marty, um, that's, yes, brother. It's it's a uh, we're bringing so many things out that perhaps the listener has not paid attention to, or maybe the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed to them. Um, as you're speaking, I'm learning a whole lot, and um, the 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 mentorship of, yeah. of Barnabas. You know, we're quick to point out the Apostle Paul. Uh, and mm -hmm. his exploits and, and all the things he did. But the truth of the matter is uh, he couldn't have become the man of God that he became to the Gentile world and ultimately, you know, to us that are mm -hmm. that are listening to him, to his writings and reading his writings uh, without the uh, the apostle. That's what he was, Barnabas. Yeah. That's, yeah. And, that's, and that's the duty of an apostle is, <laughs> is to mentor other young men in, in, in the growth and uh, uh, development uh, into becoming men of God. You know, I think that Barnabas ministry is so vital, was yeah. so vital, and it's and it's so vital today because it lacks. Yes. We don't have that today. You know, we don't have, like, and Paul understood it when he said, you know, you, you have many teachers, but few fathers. There you, you know? go. And he, told, he told that to the church of Corinth, and, and Barnabas mm -hmm. was that to him. And, yeah. and his ability, his ability to see by the Spirit, um, I liken his ability to see by the Spirit the, the, the development and growth of what these men would be uh, to Christ. Because yeah. Christ Christ took 12, and and we see the struggles that he had with the 12 initially, right? And they didn't get it. And even in the book of Acts, they're still having a hard time dealing with his teaching, right? And But but the Lord saw, 
saw greatness in them. That's beautiful, right? right? Um, yeah. Right. And 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 so it, it's so beautiful what the Holy Spirit is teaching us here through through Barnabas and um, you know because the, the the way people have, have often said, well, that decision of Barnabas was a mistake, was it? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> I don't no, think it wasn't so. a mistake. No, like you, you said it correctly. Uh, this man was so mature. I mean, it's so powerful to me, right? Crazy. How he's listening at a level to the voice of God that many weren't at that time. Yeah. And couldn't. Right? So powerful. Praise God. And you know, brother, you made me think. Uh, and I hope I hope the spirit of, of what we're saying uh, also translates to those of you that are listening for those that those young people in our lives, you know, that generation, what Brother Fernando pointed out so beautifully about fathers, you know, uh, it was Mary's house. That's how we first see John Mark. Right. He, he didn't have a father. History tells us his father had died. You know, the, the fragility uh, of being raised without fathers and, and that father's heart, which is, which is the heart of the Lord, right? That brother Fernando said so beautifully uh, is what we need today for our young people that are rioting in the streets. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I always used to wonder uh, when when the book of Malachi closes out, he says, you know what? I'm going to send Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he said specifically for what? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So that the children will turn their hearts back to the fathers. I don't know who you're dealing with out there. I don't know who, maybe you were written off at one time. And you know the hand of the Lord and his mercy and his forgiveness. Pick somebody out in your family or those that you know and and, and make it an assignment to pray for them. Don't give up on them. If they've ever shown any propensity toward, toward toward God at all, then there's something there that is redeemable. In John Mark's case, I thank God. Paul had to learn a lesson too. He had to he had to have that area of compassion developed in his heart that was lacking. I understand his zeal, and as noble and great as as our great apostle is, this was all part of of creating within him those those pathways and inroads that could be filled by the Spirit that would make him a father of the Gentile Church. And part of it was the lessons he learned in these kinds of events, because he would later write. Read, would you read that? Ten years later, this is how he writes in Colossians 4:10. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? Aristarchus, Arista, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluted you, and Marcus, sister son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandment. If he come unto you, receive him. See, the rumor had spread in the early church concerning Mark. This is 10 years later, though. 
but at one time they had said, well, Paul said this guy was, you know, left him on the mission field. But here we are 10 years later, and Paul includes him in the Bible so that we know what he became. He says, look, if he comes to you, you receive him. And he, and he comes from great stock, right? Because even though he had a fight with Barnabas over him, he includes Barnabas in that statement. He's Barnabas's nephew, he says, <laughs> and he's good for you. He, he, he brings the commandments of the Lord to you. You receive him when he shows up. Something happened. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes. Turn over to Philemon, would you, brother? <laughs> Philemon. So, so he tells him, receive him. And then when he writes, he writes to Philemon, this is what he says about Mark. 24. Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Now he calls him a fellow laborer. He's he's a laborer, equal laborer with me. Wow. I I I think Barnabas had some sort of an effect, didn't he? <laughs> and then and then finally read Second Timothy chapter four, would you? Second Timothy chapter four, yes. In verse 9 through 11. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens, to Galatia, Titus, unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me the ministry <laughs> i'm having a hard time keeping myself together here but uh <laughs> listen to the difference in the tone i'm down to luke man and then look who else is he hanging with now he's hanging with timothy man i mean that's, that's cool you know and, and and understand this is what you just read there brother jeremy these are the last words that the great apostles ever going to write. These are the last recorded words we have of him. And he includes Mark there and says, bring him because he's profitable for the ministry. I'd say Barnabas did something. <laughs> I'd say the Holy Spirit did something because he ain't saying, I don't want him coming with me no more. No, you listen to him if he shows up because he's going to preach the commandments of God to you. He's a fellow laborer of mine, and at the end of his life, just before Nero was going to take his life on the fountains of, in the fountains of Rome, there he tells Timothy, "Bring Mark with you, man." Just mm -hmm. really, brother, when it was all said and done, he wanted Mark around him, yeah. and, and and he said, "Only he said, only Luke's with me." <laughs> he Mark became a great gospel writer. And it explains his path, you know. We draw strength from this. Was Paul harsh? No. He was fully committed since since the road of on Damascus, right, when he got saved. He couldn't understand at first Mark's leaving. It, it, it wasn't in Paul to do that. He, he was a personality that after being stoned and, you know, left for dead yeah. at the edge of a city, he gets back up and he goes back in the city and preaches, yeah. right? So so Mark leaving early on, he couldn't understand that. Are you kidding me? 
there was a time when Paul was uh, was being sought after, and he goes, "Well, go, I'll go to them." And they, they had to, the people had to stop. No, no, Paul, get out of the city. Yeah, they're gonna ringing. kill you, man. <laughs> you know, and, and and I think this is just me, you know, as, because what we just read in Second Timothy chapter four is Paul speaking to a young Timothy to preach the word, a young man, and what kind of influence? Because Paul was about to die. But what kind of influence Mark had as it was done to him? Yes. What kind of influence could he have been over a young Timothy? My goodness. That's no. good stuff there, brother. See, the Holy Spirit used his heart as a father of the church so that one of the last things he would ever write would be, I need Mark. Bring Mark with you, Timothy. <laughs> That's just awesome. You know, uh, I think it, what's interesting, too, in Acts chapter 16, right, the Lord reveals his hand because uh, Mark had things yet to be developed in him. But if you can see it, this was all God's providence. Because when when, when Barnabas takes Mark, something happens. Can you read verse 1 of chapter 16, Brother Jim? Yes. Then came he to Derby in Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. And Paul would take Timothy and begin to mentor him. See, the great Timothy comes into Paul's life right here. I mean... The great ways of the Lord, for he, he orders our steps, right? His ways are beyond our ways. Would Timothy have been part of the story of biblical history had, had Barnabas abandoned Mark and gone with John? I mean, gone with Paul? Had, would Mark have become what we now know him to be? Paul testifying it, the last words he ever speaks in his letters. Oh, the ways of God, man. <laughs> I mean, wow. I mean, wow. And so that brings us to the end of this study. There's so much more, but I, I just want to end with this because, because as it said, you know, he that has begun a good work in you, right? He's going to watch over it until he performs it. Now now let's go back to, to Mark chapter 14 and, and read to us again, brother, uh, verse 51 and 52, would you? And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young man laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. What does it say in verse 50? And they all forsook him and fled. So what, what Mark is writing here, and he only as he's as humble as he could, right? He, and if you have ears to hear, this is what the Spirit is revealing about him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came with Judas and they laid hold on Jesus and arrested him, all the disciples fled. Every single one of those grown-ups left and ran away. But verse 51 reveals everybody ran away except for Mark. It says he followed him. There followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast around his naked body. 
he followed Jesus. He was trying to, to stay with him. And, and you see, even though they grabbed him and then he ran away, everybody else was already gone. He didn't run when they ran. And God saw that in the Garden of Gethsemane. That one little moment where he didn't run like everyone else did, he did eventually, but he, but he was the only one left. And he was following Jesus. God saw his heart. And took note of it. What the Lord saw. Yes, Mark fled the garden, but he was the last one to do so. God saw this. It marked him as one, though, you know, not yet developed. He had that quality, that courage in him to to hang out when all the other apostles left. Brief as it was. It caught the attention of heaven. And the Holy Spirit never let go of that young man's life until he became St. Mark, the writer of the gospel. Mark would go into Alexandria, Egypt, and build one of the greatest churches known in the early church. And he's venerated as, as a great martyr of God. This one who once fled at the end of his life, built churches, wrote gospels, helped mentor Timothy, and laid down his life for the gospel. Don't give up. Don't give up on those you're believing God for. Because God put them in your heart just like he put Mark in Barnabas's heart because God knew something that Barnabas bared witness to, whether he understood it all at the time, or whether they had these conversations, who knows? But the Holy Spirit shows it to us in his word because he wants us to know God sees everything. How many marks are there out there that you know? How many young ladies, young men, even older ones? It doesn't matter who, how, how old they are. God sees what we don't. And if he's put it in your heart and you have a burden for somebody... More than likely, somewhere in the privacy where only God sees everything, that person had something in them that cried out to God, so don't give up, because God will finish what he started. It affected Paul his whole life. And at the end, he would say, Timothy, bring Mark with you. I need him for the ministry. Praise God. We'll pick it up from here on Monday as we continue journeying with Paul to Athens. We pray you have a great weekend. We love you. Brother Jeremy, could you close us out? I'll try. <laughs> Man. Uh, just uh, what you've been speaking about, Brother Marty, uh, I think we can all relate to it in one way or another. Just thinking over my life, all the Barnabas men that through my life have have impacted me. You know, yes. It's said that uh that that Mark, uh, this is what they say, that he possibly died being dragged by a horse horses. Um, but what this young man became, you know, and as you ended it, and Mark really touched me, you know. 
they all fled except for Mark until after, you know, and that made an impact in his life. And what you said, the Holy Spirit didn't let him go. Uh, so much to glean from, uh, so much to meditate on what's been said. And thank you for being sensitive, Brother Marty, uh, to, uh, I believe this is what the Lord wanted us to hear on this Friday. The thing. And uh, we pray that you've been blessed uh, as we have been blessed today. May God bless you. Yeah. Be careful this weekend. Don't give up. Stay connected. And uh, may the Lord bless you and keep looking up.